I'll be reading from Matthew 5, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for, they, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God. Good afternoon. All right, we were in uh, Book of Ruth last several weeks. It was an amazing time to go over Book of Ruth again. We're going to be going through the Beatitudes for five, six weeks. I'm not going to be the only one preaching. We have uh, Elder Charles be preaching. Pastor John's back. He's going to be preaching. And we're going to team up and walk through the Beatitudes and part of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. Uh, but this particular passage of Beatitudes, what was read by Brother John, is a first major sermon in the book of Matthews. If you notice, book of Matthews, uh, this is the, the Gospel of Matthew. This is the first major sermon that Jesus gives to the crowd. Perhaps no other religious teachings in the history of mankind has, uh, has attracted the attention which has been devoted to this particular teachings we find in Matthew chapter 5. Right? Many Christians and non-Christians have been deeply influenced by Jesus' words that were just read. Gandhi himself, though not a Christian, often refer to this particular teaching as something that has deeply shaped the way he has served his people. So quick window into the context of the sermon. Uh, the sermon, this is a sermon that Jesus gave in the middle of his ministry. Just a quick context of where we are in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus enters the scene. He begins his ministry, calls others to follow him. He calls his disciples. He goes throughout all Galilee, teaching and healing, but mainly really healing healing the sick, deaf ears are open, eyes are, are, are open, people who had trouble physically, Jesus heals them, right? There's this ministry of healing. And so naturally, news about him spread quickly around the region, right? By Matthew 5, there was this great crowd that have gathered, not just from Galilee, from all over Israel, all over town. Matthew tells us, Great crowds followed him, not again, not just Galilee, but from Jerusalem, Judea, even beyond the Jordan. So Jesus is sort of at the, at, at, the, at the pinnacle of his ministry. He's got everyone's attention. Everybody wants to see this man, Jesus. And he's probably, at, by this time, most sought-out rabbi, perhaps in all of Israel. And Matthew tells us at that pinnacle moment of his ministry, chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus, seeing the crowd that have gathered around him, what does he do? He seizes the moment. But it's interesting. Jesus doesn't expand his healing ministry, what's got him this fame. Everybody wants to come because Jesus is this great healer. 
He doesn't expand his ministry of healing. He doesn't expand his team of disciples from 12 to 24 to 36. He doesn't do any of that. He stops at this moment as this huge crowd has gathered. He stops, goes up on a mountain, and begins to actually teach. And the immediate question that we ought to ask in Matthew 5, the shift in Jesus' focus of ministry is why did Jesus pause such a successful healing ministry to undertake a seemingly less helpful teaching one? Nobody likes long sermons, right? Uh, some of you guys like long sermons. Most people don't like long sermons. Jesus is popular. People are coming. His healing. Demons are casted out. And Jesus says, wait, wait, wait. Let me, let me do a teaching. Because he, he, if you think about in a, in a worldly standard or any sort of, if, if you're in marketing, any, any type of business strategy, any type of organizational strategy, this was his moment to expand his movement, to continue to, to take the movement into, into greater length. Yet Jesus pauses. Why interrupt the momentum by going up to a mountain to teach? Many different theories, but I think Jesus was keenly aware of all that pain and suffering and chaos the people in the crowd were experiencing, were living under, that they were facing. They were not simply a matter of external trouble. It's not simply that this person is lame and he can't walk. It's not that this person can't, can't see, simply have a physical eye. There's a matter of something much more deep within. There's a... It's not just external, but it's deeply internal. Jesus wants to not only address their ex external brokenness, but really at the heart of it, he wants to address the misaligned heart and their way of looking at life. Jesus wants to bring them back to this idea of shalom. One commentator says, and I quote, Jesus wants to practice preventive medicine, not just surgeries. Right? Here in our text, Jesus' words deal, really deal with the root human problem. Right? We're always, people in the crowd are always looking for things on the outside. Right? His disciples, the crowd, Jesus is always looking deep within to say, what's the, what's the real issue here? What's the real problem of this person? What real help do they need? So by incorporating his healing ministry with his teaching ministry, he is restoring, he is really dealing with a problem that's deep within. In fact, when his followers believe and obey and teach the very things that Jesus, ta Jesus taught in our passage, we are told in verse 13 of our passage, it wasn't read today, we are told right after, immediately after the message of Beatitudes, Jesus says what? Jesus looks at the crowd and says, you are the salt of the earth. You're going to preserve all that is good in the world. You are light of the world. And that's true back in the day. That's also true today. If we continue to pursue the things that Jesus talk, talks about in our passage, we bring healing to wherever we go. For the original audience, this is much more interesting. For us, it's like, oh, Jesus goes up a mountain. Makes sense. For the original audience, Jesus standing at the mountaintop to teach the crowd a renewed vision for how they ought to approach life now that he's come. 
or what it means to truly live a blessed life. These are Jewish crowd, mostly. They look at this rabbi or this teacher go up on a high place to teach the new ways of God. They're immediately thinking about who? In their history, there's another man named Moses, right? Moses, many, many years ago, as God was establishing nation Israel, Moses went up on another mountain, Mount Sinai, and gave them the Ten Commandments, what we know as Ten Commandments. So, so, so they, the, the, the crowd there would have made immediate connection. Wow, this is perhaps the greater Moses. Who would have, again, in the book of Exodus, stood on a mountaintop to give them the new ways of life. What was Ten Commandments? God's new way of life. Except the greater Moses... Jesus has finally arrived, and Jesus stands in the second Sinai, just as Moses gave the commandments, following the salvation from their slavery in Egypt. Now Jesus gives God's manifesto for his new community that he is building, following his arrival, the arrival of Savior himself. Yet Ten Commandments and the Sermon on the Mount or Beatitudes the, the, the nature of the, those messages are not the same. At the heart, Jesus' words here aren't simply prescriptions. Right? He, he's not saying if anyone wants to enter the kingdom of God, these are the requirements. This is not what Jesus is saying when you read Jesus' words. Jesus is like, you got to live like this, this, this in order to come in. No, they're already invited. The original audience, they've all been invited to this teaching, invited to join Jesus' kingdom. So it's not this requirement. At the same time, these teachings aren't also just warnings to, to those telling them, if you don't follow these ways, you're, you're not going to be able to remain in me. It's not this warning. If you break these things, you're out. That's not how it works. No, neither are Jesus' primary intent that's not what Jesus is attempting to do in Matthew 5. If they're not prescriptions nor requirements, then, then what are they? Why, why are we studying? Why are we going to spend five weeks studying this best thing? Man? You see, they are at the heart of it. Jesus is he's proclaiming. He's pro proclaiming where his kingdom is truly found and how one can experience its fullness. All of us experience the kingdom of God in some ways. right? As we worship, as we engage, as we approach the scripture, yet the fullness, the fullness of the kingdom of God is experienced when we live according to the ways that Jesus describes the blessed life here. That's what he, he intends to do to the crowd. Listen to Timothy Chapman. He says this. This very teaching demonstrates what it looks like to count, encounter the empty pursuits our culture's value so dearly. They're not trivial promises of ease or security. Instead, these statements assure us of the full realization of all human desires. To know God to be his children, to know his comfort and satisfaction, and to dwell with him forever. 
Simply put, Jesus is laying out once and for all major, these major principles of the world that he is bringing, this new kingdom, kingdom of God that he has brought with himself. So in, within the Beatitudes, verses 1 to verses 12, there are eight blessings. There are nine, but eight and nine are, are, are together. There are eight major blessings. And every one of them begins with these words. Blessed is the person. Which simply refers to someone who is fortunate or someone who will be honored because they have responded well to the message of the gospel. Someone who will be honored. Surprisingly, the list, when you read through the list, I mean, if we really slow down and read the Beatitudes, the list that Jesus gives us does not describe important and powerful people at the time. The emperors, the conquerors, the priests, the wealthy who enjoy this favor. Instead, Jesus describes those who are less successful in the eyes of the world. That means we're in trouble, friends, because we're quiet. When I think about our church, we're lawyers and doctors and teachers and the level of number of master's degrees in our congregation, that means we're in trouble in a way. Instead, Jesus described those, those who are less successful in the eyes of the world. It is common people, those whom earthly success has largely passed by, the poor, the meek, the persecuted, the peacemakers. How can Jesus claim they're the ones who are truly blessed? Because though they may have been denied worldly success, what cannot be taken away from them is their potential to live rightly by one another. Jesus goes on to say that so long as ordinary people stand for the right things and do not retreat in their righteousness before those who seem more powerful, what's right will eventually prevail. It's their kingdom, a kingdom organized not from top down, but from bottom up. We talked about this a lot, this idea of kingdom, upside down kingdom that Jesus has, has brought. And the, the kingdom that we're invited into. Also notice what's interesting is Jesus' description of blessed life doesn't begin with a class on doctrine. It's not this theology class that Jesus gives or a mandate for mission. Right? Jesus could have given the Great Commission here, but he chooses not to do that. Instead, he describes a person in spirit, a person who mourns over sins, a person who submits to God and longs to grow in righteousness. In fact, they're largely counterintuitive. When you think about the attributes that Jesus gives in the Beatitudes, they're, they're quite counterintuitive. It's, it's things that we didn't think about or, or two things that really don't match. Being poor means you don't have enough and nobody wants that. Everybody wants iPhone 14, not iPhone 8. Everybody wants new car, not beat up cars. But Jesus spoke of a kind of poverty that makes us rich. 
Mourning means you are greatly sorrowful. Yeah, Jesus speaks of kind of mourning that leads to joy. It's like, how does that work? And Jesus, and, 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 and notice, Jesus doesn't say later there will be joy. Later you will experience riches. It's right here, right now. When you look at the grammar, it's right here, right now. In the midst of your mourning, there is joy. In the midst of your poverty, there is great riches to be found. And, and, and as we approach the message, the, the Beatitudes, as it did at the time when it was first given, to even 2,000 years later, 2,100 years later now to today, it continues to stand against what the world perceives as blessed. Our world asserts the opposite, right? Really, when you think about how our culture operates, when you think about what people post on their social media and what is celebrated in our culture, it is complete opposite of what Jesus is talking about here. Blessed are the powerful. Blessed are the wealthy, for they will take everything. So in highlighting the strange and unexpected values of his kingdom, Jesus is really challenging you and I again and again. Because we need reminders, don't we, to help us see that his way is full of surprises. Don't think just because you think that's good, it's good to God. Don't think because you have these plans and you're like, oh, if I get there, I'm going to feel great. Don't think that's what God thinks. It's not always aligned. Often, when we assume it's aligned, it's not. And that his kingdom isn't at all like other kingdoms to which we are so used to, familiar with. Those who get ahead in Jesus' kingdom are not those with unlimited power or strongest determination, nor those with impressive wealth or intolerance or mistakes. Instead, they are those who experience hardship. That's one. And those who operate out of forgiveness and mercy, too. Two things. Experiencing hardship. Many of us post-COVID, right, experienced hardship and responding in mercy and forgiveness. Those are the two things that Jesus talks about. Yet if you think about the church or modern day Christianity, much of Western Christianity or Christianity that we are used to, for most of us are used to, what we value in the church, what we value as Christians is not very different from the ways of the world. The way we think about leadership, you read any sort of Christian leadership books out there, most of the Christian leadership books, most of congregation members, they might not say it out loud, they want pastors that are strong, they're charismatic, right? The the way we approach our local church, we don't want to be peacemakers, especially post-COVID. So many of my close friends have left the church in, in America. And I'm like, you don't go to church anymore? They're like, we don't go to church. We do home church. This is like, I'm like, okay. And when I hear their stories, they have different reasons for leaving their church. Not, but, but one of the reasons why people have left church is because like, they're like, they, I don't agree with how they have responded to what's happening. And, and I'm not going to just be here, watch them do what they want. I want to be, in some level, it's like I want, I want to be valued. 
I want my voice to matter. And that's actually more important than, in some ways, keeping the peace in the community. Again, not right, right or wrong, but I think there's, there's one sense that I got from my closest friends was, yeah, I want church to do what I want and what I believe. Some are good, but not all are their preference, their ideas. Okay, this could be good, this could be good, but because they're not doing that, I'm not going to make peace. We don't want to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Look at the stuff that, that we stream. Look at the movies. Look at the TV shows. Look at the things we laugh at. Look at your YouTube history. Look at mine. This idea of godliness and righteousness. I mean, that, I, know, I know I struggle with it. Valuing that and loving that. When I see like people that are right, righteous, I don't want to hang out with them. I'm like, oh, no. You're too good for me, man. I can't hang out with you. I feel uncomfortable with righteousness. We want abundance. We want big, nice, shiny things. We want growth over maturity. And these are, these are really my confession. I'm not calling you guys. I'm calling myself out. These are how I feel. And I still deeply struggle with Words of Jesus here versus what I've grown up believing. When I planted this church, it was like, I need to be a great leader. I need to be charismatic. I need to preach without notes. I need to be able to do all these things. I need leaders that are like that. I need to grow. All that stuff. And still, still here. Yet when I hear Jesus' words, I'm like, what is Jesus talking about? So we need, all of us need Jesus' words to remind us. We need his words more than ever. Those of you guys that are in leadership in your workplace, in your organization, in your homes, we need to hear Jesus' words more than ever. And again, we need to invite these words to reshape and renew our beliefs and values. And we're talking about grit 2023, if you're joining us, that's the word God gave us for our community. And greedy faith doesn't just mean your strong will. You put your head down and you push through. No, it means this. Understanding what Jesus feels like is important and aligning ourselves to these values. And, and really, I think this is the reason why we, we put Beatitudes as part of the preaching calendar. I think this is a great place to start. For us to, to, to re, 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 realign, to reshape, reorient what we love and what we, what we cherish. But if you think about what Jesus is talking about in this particular sermon, Jesus' teaching here isn't anything new. Yes, they're radical, but they're not new. Jesus is calling us once again to reconsider who God is and what he desires for his creation from Genesis to all the way to Gospel of Matthew. He's been consistent. Israelites are not surprised. This is the same Yahweh, the nature of same Yahweh that Jesus is reminding them. Jesus' message in the sermon is that God is God the Father is the one who sees and cares not only about what's external, but what's inside of our hearts, what's happening within. Not just concerned about religious activities or deeds or ideas, but what's really happening inside of each of us. 
Second thing is, I think sometimes we come to a list like this one in Scripture, Ten Commandments and Beatitudes, different type of list that we see. We assume just like the law, because no one can perfectly live these out. No one can perfectly be meek and peacemaking. We assume oh, they're not for us. The law in the Old Testament, though good and true, helped humanity to see the gap that existed between who we are and who God is. And this, we realized we needed Jesus to rescue us. Right? That's the gospel that we preach from this pulpit every week. For many of us, it's easy to assume none of what Jesus mentions in Matthew 5 applies to us today because of what Jesus did. You couldn't be more wrong. Though, yes, no one can perfectly live these things out. They're nonetheless invitation into a radical life of discipleship. Everybody wants to be discipled. Everybody talks about discipleship. Well, we start here. This is Jesus' way of showing. This is discipleship 101. You want to be like me? You want to follow me? Here's what I value. Finally, one important note. We aren't to simply break down the text, the grammar, the Greek, the context and study. We'll do that. As Elder Charles and Pastor John and myself, as we preach, we'll do that. We'll study through each of these Beatitudes. But I want to invite all of us in this season to spend time on our own to meditate. Everyone say the word meditate. It's a very popular word today, right? Everybody wants meditation. It's good for work. It's good for your mental. But, but I'm not talking about that kind of meditation. I'm talking about meditation of Scripture. Meditation. And even, can I challenge you to memorize? Apostles' Creed was off the screen. And we're all like, oh, do I know this? I, I loved it. We knew it. Because we, we do it every week, right? I want us to consider memorizing. Could we memorize? You're like, what? I don't even memorize my own number. No, well, welcome to Disciples 101. Let's memorize this portion of the scripture. I'll test you every, every Sunday. I'm kidding, I won't get to test you. In a, day age, an age, in a day and an age where words are quickly consumed, even reading the Bible can become rushed if we, if we get to it, right? Some of us rush through our reading as if it's fast food. Anyone love McDonald's? I love McDonald's. Big Mac in front of me is done in two minutes. My wife's like, who, who did I marry? Who are you, right? But we sometimes we're so rushed and we know we've got to read the Bible. So we just rush. We, we listen to the Bible. I listen to the Bible at 1.5. Sometimes I go two when, I, when I'm like, and I don't, I, no, we, we do that. Oh, I read, I read it. Okay, I got to move on. I can prep my sermon now. Yet, could it be that God wants to form you and I through this word, through his word? Pastor Eugene Peterson, in his book, Eat This Book, a wonderful book about meditation and memorization. I highly recommend Eat This Book. Just warn you, Eugene Peterson, any of his books, you'll probably think, if you're like me, the whole time you're like, get to the point, Pastor Eugene. He never gets to the point. That's the point. He just slowly lulls you in 
to this idea of slow down. He, he, his whole writing style is like, I'm, I'm reading, I'm like, get to the point. Teach me five things about how to be a good pastor. And he's like telling these stories, right? I'm like, but that's his style. I'm just warning you. If you're like me, you're going to have to prepare yourself for Pastor Eugene Peterson. He's not, he's not made for soul, 2023, all right? But a wonderful, wonderful author. In his book, Eat This Book, states, he says, and I quote, The challenge, never negligible, regarding the Christian scripture is not getting them read, but reading on their terms as God's revelation. He says, only when we are able to get away from the dominant text of the sovereign self that surrounds us and lives within us, and to place personal experience under the authority of the Bible and not over it, the scripture can begin to do the transformative work that it is designed to do. Let me read it again. Only when we're able to get away from the dominant text of the sovereign self that surrounds us and lives within us and to place personal experience under the authority of the Bible and not over it, Scripture can begin to do the transformative work that it is designed to do. And that usually won't simply happen if we're reading as if we're eating some Big Mac. We're just like speed 2.5. I don't know what they're reading, but I'm done. Little check on my Bible app. Because if you think about the original hearers, not many of them were able to read. They were... People in poverty, uneducated. The words of Jesus here, right, for the original audience, like many portions of Scripture comes from a time or culture that concentrate on the ear more than the eye. The sermon is designed for them to memorize it and to meditate on it again and again. That was really the purpose or the device that Jesus used to teach at the time. This crowd, very simple, yet it's going to take time to consume and think about and meditate. So today, I'm done. I'm going to open up. Pastor John and Joyce will come up. They'll lead us in wonderful music. We'll have each of the Beatitudes on the screen. About a minute and a half, two minutes each. Get comfortable. Take out your apps, your pens. You can pray through it. You can just read it for those two minutes. You can take notes. You can talk about it with someone next to you. But we're going to meditate if you can memorize, that, that's impressive. But you know, some of you guys are like, I want to get it done. I want to memorize. No, no, maybe, maybe not memorize. Just meditate and, and see what God does through this time. And we're going to open up next uh, 12 to 13 minutes to do this. So we're going to practice this. Obviously, you're going to need more than 13 minutes. But you know what? This is, this is good practice for us to be able to do this here uh, with us. So we'll, we'll have that on the screen. And once, and each, each, okay, I think the time's, time's starting, but we, as each thing goes, goes through, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to rush you guys, I'm already rushing you guys. As each thing goes through, let's, let's breathe, let's breathe through it, and also ask, God, what, what's something that you're speaking to me about in this time? Right? We'll do that.
For us one more time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. King's Cross, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trample under people's feet. Friends, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus, it is my confession that 
we fall utterly short of how you see life, how you want us to live our lives. Yet it is also our prayer, God, that we want to align once again ourselves to the things that you value. Not just at church, not just with those we love, but in our workplaces, in those difficult relationships. The way we lead, the way we serve, the way we treat, especially those that cannot benefit us. Lord, forgive us for thinking you think like us. Forgive us for assuming you're going to bless us because we're doing what we love or what we're passionate about. Forgive us for our false sense of confidence in what we can do, what we can achieve. We need you. We need to be reminded again We need you to wash us again. So that we will not lose our saltiness. That others can be able to see. Shine a light, not so that people can say, oh, what a great guy you are, a great girl you are. No, shine a light so that others can see and praise you. May that be reality for people not only in this room, but for all the Christians in this city. Renew us in this truth. Lord, be with us as we walk through this beatitude. Our our children are going to be going through it. Our preteens are going to be going through it. Lord, wash our community once again with this truth this season. Anoint all those that will be teaching, all those in community groups that will be discussing, Take us deeper into your heart, Lord. We thank you. We love you. Just let me pray. Amen.